Oh, we'll try one more time. We're good. Thank you so much, Brennan and team, uh, for leading us in worship through music this morning. Um, yeah, Jesus is the only name. Uh, welcome here. Uh, greetings. Uh, my name is, if we've never met before, my name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here at Seven Oaks, and we are, uh, we're glad that you're uh, with us this morning, um, especially those of you who are here in person. Uh, we welcome those who are joining us via the live stream, and of course, those who are joining us on demand from the future. Uh, we're glad that all of you are here with us. And uh, I want to wish you uh, a belated Merry Christmas. Of course, uh, the weather robbed us all the opportunity to gather together last week, uh, as we traditionally do, to come together to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Um, but, but our prayer is that you would have spent this last week at some point in the context of your home, your family, your friends, your community, and gathered together to celebrate the significance of the coming of Christ. Today is, of course, New Year's Day. So, Happy New Year's uh, to everyone. I hope you had a wonderful uh, time bringing in the new year. Uh, there's something that we enjoy, I think, about a new beginning, don't we? Uh, Brendan was touching on it a little bit at the beginning. We, we like a fresh start, right? Like, we like, we like, like, new beginnings. Um, because you can, in a, in a fresh start, in a new beginning, in a new year, at the start of something new, you can kind of set aside the past. You can put a, put a, set aside the past, and you can start over. That maybe the errors and mistakes of yesterday can be left behind, and you can move forward on a, on a fresh path. And when I think of a fresh start, I recall something I learned in high school. And, and maybe, you know, Maybe it's because I spend time with high school students, but I find every so often, I think about high school and what, I, what happened there, because high school is, is such an important, such a significant uh, time in life where we're shaped by the things that we're learning in the classroom, we're shaped by uh, the, the peers that we surround ourselves with, and, and hopefully we're shaped by our parents and our family as well. But um, uh, this, uh, I don't always think about what happened in high school, but um, as I was thinking about today, as I was thinking about fresh starts, there was this specific fact, this, this lesson, this insight that I learned many years ago uh, that came to mind. And it was something I learned in Dr. Lewis Freed's grade 12 philosophy class. And the term or, or the phrase was tabula rasa. And I think I remember it because it was meaningfully taught but also because it was one of the first phrases I think that I'd ever learned in Latin. And uh, tabula rasa is a phrase that simply means uh, blank slate, or I think it says here clean slate. The better translation is probably blank slate. So if you're making notes, write blank slate. Um, but yeah, it, tabula rasa means blank slate. And it, it, the term has been a part of various philosophical frameworks throughout history, but in the modern era, it has become predominantly associated with the English Enlightenment philosopher named John Locke. And for Locke, tabula rasa meant that our minds, uh, our minds are this blank slate, this, this clean slate. And they're that way when we are born. And, um, and therefore, the data for processing everything is based on everything that we get from our sensory experiences. And this was central for his theory of empiricism, and we're not going to go into that in any great detail. Um, but ultimately, it is what you experience, he would say, it is what you experience that shapes your mind. 
and thus leads one to understand who they are, this sense of self, this sense of identity, and then, therefore, how one would go about living their life. Thinking about how our culture approaches a new year somewhat um, makes me think of this idea of tabula rasa a little bit, because it's the fresh start, but also unlocks understanding of experiences as well, because we start with a a clean slate, a blank slate, but it is impacted by the experiences we've had in the previous year or in our life as a whole. We make choices based on what's happened in the past as we move forward into a new year. And this is, uh, you know, in our culture, as we start a new year, there's, there's a few things we do, right? We, we have this party on December 31st, uh, you know, this gathering of people, friends, family, whatever, um, but there's, other, there's at least one other traditional thing we do. Well, what's the other traditional thing we do to start a new year? Say it louder, Wayne. Resolutions. Can I get a resolution? No. Um, <laughs> resolutions. We make New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, this is a tradition that's been around for centuries and something that has been done in various cultures, including amongst followers of Christ. It is basically a, a commitment, a commitment to alter one's behavior or perhaps also possibly attitudes and ways of thinking, to enact a specific type of change in your life, um, usually for your overall betterment, your more satisfaction or happiness. So question for you. What are your New Year's resolutions for this year? No, seriously, does someone want to share a New Year's resolution they've made for 2023? Yeah. Okay, so quit being so hard on yourself. That sounds like a good one, yeah. Any, anyone else? Have more faith. That sounds like a great one, too. Any, anyone else? Not to make it. There's, there's one in every crowd. There's, it's not to make any more resolutions. Okay, quick, quick show of hands here. Who, who, let's, just, let's just keep it to 2022, 2023. Who here has made some resolutions, some things they want to do this year? Just to get a... Okay. So not a, not a lot of you, a few of you. Okay. Um, we'll see how that, that plays out as we, as we go forward. Um, so yeah, so often these, uh, these resolutions that we make, um, they're centered on, uh, on different things. Now often, we heard some really, really great ones here. Um, but often they, they tend to be centered around the things kind of like uh, exercise, like, uh, you know, our dietary, the things we're going to, you know, physically consume. Um, it might be about quitting smoking or, or giving up drinking. Uh, you might want to alter your sleep patterns or the amount you're sleeping uh, or, you know, change your, your media intake or, you know, these kinds of things. And some resolutions, they might be for like, they might, they might be like permanent change, like the, the beating up yourself. That sounds like a permanent change you want to, want to make, right? Some of them are like things you want to change forever in your life. Some of them you might say, this year, this is just something I want to do. And still, some of them are maybe even for shorter periods of time. I have a buddy, a football buddy, a soccer buddy. His name's Jeff. And every year, he participates in what he calls dry January. So he won't drink alcohol in January. And often for Jeff, dry January turns into dry February. And so a couple months a year, he won't drink for the betterment of his health. There are all kinds of, uh, when, you, when you talk about resolutions, there's all kinds of studies that have been done. People have looked at these, at these resolutions and, and, and kind of asked questions around, are they actually effective? Are they purposeful? Are they meaningful for people? And there are a couple of findings that I looked at kind of stood out to me. 
One is, um, one is that the more measurable you make a resolution or, or a goal, the more likely that you are to achieve it. So if you, like, for example, if you say, like, I want to lose a pound a week, you're more likely to achieve that in a meaningful way than if you say, I want to lose weight this year, <laughs> right? And that, that kind of makes sense. One of the other things that stood out to me is, um, uh, from a different study, was that um, this study found that the, the, partic the their participants were more likely to be successful in life change through New Year's resolutions by 10 times than if they had tried this at a different time in the year. A new year is seen to be a great time to make life, ch life changes. Um, when, when, when thinking about kind of the list of, of New Year's resolutions or you can think of ones you've maybe done in the past or whatever, most of them, we set them up to, uh, to be achievable, right? Most common New, Year, New Year's resolutions, they can be something that you can do. And especially you can do them if you work at them, right? If you, if you work hard, if you're intentional, if you're committed, if you're determined, you know, you can really change your life. In fact, you can do quite a lot in terms of changing your life if you, if you put your mind to it, if you put your heart to it, right? Would we agree on that? Matthew's nodding, so I'll say, I'll say we all agree. Um, in preparing for uh, today, in preparing for this ga gathering, and, and especially pondering on this day that it would, would take place on, on January 1st, the first day of a new year, God kept on bringing back to me one passage. And it's a passage that you may be somewhat familiar with, or you, I'm, I'm guessing many of you will know at least a portion of it. Um, because a portion of it is a common benediction that we've used to close out various services here over the years. And at first I thought, you know, this is too short a passage to speak on because that benediction portion that's really powerful is, is just, it's just two verses, and that's too short. But as I, as I read the passage and I read, began to read more of the verses around it and, and the book as a whole, but I read those verses over and over again across a period of weeks this fall, Again, I sensed that it was what God wanted to be shared on this occasion, on this day, in this place to his people. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up uh, to the book of Ephesians, the, the letter to the Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 to 21. I'm going to read it for us from the NIV translation, and uh, it will be available here on the screen if you'd like to follow along in that way. So the word of the Lord to us today. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness, all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
There are three things uh, that we're going to spend some time emphasizing from these verses. And I'll just give you a heads up as to what they are. We're going to talk about shifting our focus from ourselves onto God. We're going to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, we're going to look at being rooted and established in love. So number one, emphasis number one, shift the focus from self to God. Now, this could really be the emphasis of, you know, many passages uh, in Scripture, right? But it comes through in this one, right from the very first verse and all the way kind of to the, to the last verse. And in, in the first verse, in verse 14, we, we see it, say, it says this, I kneel before God from whom all creation comes, from whom all creation derives its name. There's this focus on God right at the very outset. And then the last couple of verses, that, that great benediction, it says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The focus is clearly on God. And it also says, to who be the glory? To him be the glory. To God be the glory. So not only is this shift found in these verses, uh, it fits with what is going on in the book of, of, of Ephesians as a whole. Now this was uh, a, a book, as we know, written by uh, the Apostle Paul as a letter to uh, uh, churches in the region that included Ephesus. This was a letter that was meant to be kind of shared amongst a bunch of churches. Um, so it was kind of like this circular letter that would be passed around. The church in Ephesus was one that Paul spent significant time at nurturing during his missionary journeys. Uh, he wrote this letter via the inspiration of the Holy Spirit while uh, later on in his life while under house arrest in Rome. I think it's obvious when you read this letter that Paul cared deeply for the Christ followers in these churches that he's writing to. And I think it's safe to say he cared about the, the Christ followers in Ephesus. And he longed to see them and those who would read this and those who would hear this to be focused on a life of living for Jesus. Our passage starts with the phrase, for this reason. What is the reason for the rest of what Paul says in, in the following verses? Well, when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 3, verse 13, all that's come before what we've just read, we see that Paul describes kind of the, the basic truths of the Christian life. He writes about who God is. He writes about what God has done for us and who we are because of that. And from our passage through to the end of the letter, he is encouraging his readers, his listeners, to live that out, to live out who they are in Christ, to live this life of dependence on Christ. To live out who we are in Christ requires us to put our focus on him. And if we're to put our focus on Christ, that will require us, at least in some way, to take our focus or shift our focus off of ourselves. This is very much um, contrary or in opposition to uh, how our world works, isn't it? Right? We live in a world that socializes us, it socializes our families, you know, our, our culture as a whole, our society as a whole, to place self above all else. You know, we are taught to place ourselves at the center of all of our decisions to look after yourself first and then maybe worry about others afterwards. Another cultural message that keeps our attention on, on ourselves over God is the idea that um, if you dig deep enough 
in, in, within yourself. You can be your own savior. You can save yourself. You just got to find it in you. You just need to trust yourself. You just need to work hard at it. And you can kind of redeem yourself. Another way to think about this um, is we've been told that we are the hero of our own story. And this is highly evident as we are living in the height, the peak of the superhero story in the film and TV industry. These are tales of gifted, mutated, enhanced, and alien characters who struggle with who they are. And it isn't until when they accept that they're, their superhero identity that they can save themselves and then save the day. The message to the audience is that if you look deep enough into yourself, you'll find the hero that you are, and you will be able to rescue yourself. If you know me, uh, you know that I enjoy a good comic book. And I enjoy it in all its forms, you know, from written and illustrated on the page to the big screen to the small screen. However, the messaging, when internalized, that, that comes from these types of stories, especially to younger people, <clears throat> can lead to a worldview that just is not in sync with the Christian life. You are not the hero of your story. We are not the heroes of our own stories. God is at the center of the story of all of our lives. And his son, Jesus, is very clearly the hero. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we, we are told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In our opening verse, we're told that uh, Paul says, or Paul kneels before the Father. He kneels before God. He is totally focused on him because of who he is and what he has done. Do you want to be focused on yourself? Do you want to work hard this year to achieve all your goals and all your resolutions on your own? Do you want to be the hero of your own story? Or do you want to be focused on the one who can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine? If we're focused on God, if we make that shift or focus on ourselves to focus on God, <clears throat> this second emphasis can kind of just kind of hopefully will flow out of that or can sometimes naturally flow out of that. And that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Scripture teaches us very clearly that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe in him, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in his followers. Paul mentions that in, Ephes or in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where he states, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So everyone who has believed in Jesus, if, if you put your, your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. But is having the Holy Spirit the same as being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the simple answer is no. When we've had some sermons on this in the last year or so as well, talking about it in, in great detail. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, followers of Christ are called to be filled with this, the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, when, when filled is being uh, used in relationship to the Holy Spirit, 
depending on the, the Greek tense that is being used, the word can be understood in the sense of keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like just when you believe or just when God is at work in your life in some way. No, we're called to be continually filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, is not simply a spirit. He is he's also not an it. Um, as a member of the Trinity, he is personal and highly relational. As we know, the Trinity is highly relational. In fact, it may be helpful to think of being filled in the Spirit less in quantifiable terms, like I always kind of did growing up, you know, kind of like a, I'm a cup, I'm a, I'm a jar of clay, and I'm filled with the Spirit, right? Which is maybe helpful in some senses, but maybe not in others. Maybe you need to shift from thinking about it in quantifiable terms to more uh, in, this, in kind of in relational terms, because the Spirit is relational. Maybe thinking about it like the closeness between a parent and a child relationship would be more helpful. So even though this, it is the Spirit uh, who fills us, right? It's, it's the Holy Spirit who does the filling. We are called to be filled. And I think as I, as I look at Scripture, I think, and, I, and I look at my own life, I think we can see that our intimacy with God um, plays a role in this. Um, that, you know, the ways that, um, ways that we can be filled with the Spirit and experience His leading and guidance in our lives um, can be related to how uh, we practice the spiritual disciplines, right? Like spending time in God's Word. The more we're in the Word, which was inspired, which was written by the Holy Spirit, the more we're in tune with, the more we are close to the Holy Spirit. The more we spend time talking to God and the Holy Spirit is God, the more time we spend talking to Him, the more... Uh, the, the closer we will, we will be. Confessing and repenting of our sin brings us closer to God. Um, being in close community with brothers and sisters in Christ who are also being filled with the Spirit uh, will bring us closer to God, as will serving, as we serve, as we use the gifts that he's given us. Now, this is not uh, just like a checklist that I've just named for you to just kind of check these things off just to do it's about relationship. Think about your relationships and how they work, right? It's about, it's about time. It's about presence. It's about intentionality. As we press into, as we focus on God, as we, again, shift the focus from ourselves to God, we experience his power and his presence in our life through being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does this look like in our lives? Paul, in uh, one of his other letters uh, to the church of Galatia, uh, writes in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he gives us this beautiful picture of what life, uh, the life of one filled with the Spirit looks like. There's this wonderful, wonderful metaphor of the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are what, what the, the Spirit bears in our, brings to bear in our life. Have you been trying to live a life of following Jesus on your own? Have you felt like you lack his power and presence in your life? It is possible that even though you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not filled with him. The Ephesians saw the Spirit at work in the life of Paul. And not just in the fruit of the Spirit, uh, not just the, the, how the, the, the fruit of the Spirit was kind of born, in, born out in his own life, but also in the power of God that was at work through him. 
When you read about of Paul going to Ephesus, when you go to the book of Acts and you read about Paul's missionary journeys and you come to chapter 19 and you read about his experiences in Ephesus, you can understand why this would be, a, 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 this call to be filled with the Spirit would be powerful because they've seen the Spirit's work in Paul's life. They saw Paul do miraculous things. Some of the things we read in, in that chapter are like, they're hard to comprehend. They're hard to comprehend maybe outside of the fact that we believe it's God who's doing it, right? This is where we find the story of, of Paul having touched things like a handkerchief or like an apron and then people taking it and bringing it to people who are sick or who are demon-possessed and they're healed. Evil spirits are driven out. The people at Ephesus saw what this looked like in Paul's life. They saw what it was to be filled with the Spirit. These are examples of what it looks like when God does immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine by his power at work within his followers. I, I, don't, I don't know what your experience has been with the Holy Spirit, but I know in my, my own life, um, I can relate to this idea of relationship. Even though for most of my life I've thought of it, I'm a cup and God fills me up and I pour into other people and then I'm empty and I need to be filled up again. But this idea of relationship makes more sense to kind of how I live my life and how I've experienced the Spirit. As I follow Jesus and, I, and I'm, I'm intimate with him, I'm close with him, I'm spending time with him, I'm devoting and focusing my life on him, I know the presence and the power of his Spirit more deeply. And as I come to the big things of life, the big decisions of life, where to go to school, should I marry that girl, you know, all these different things, some stories I've told you before that I won't re recap now, I've, I've had this sense of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing me. But also in the small things of life, like, hey, go talk to that person. Hey, say this thing to this person. This person needs to hear this. I can't, I, I can't recount for you the number of times where I just had the sense, like, I need to say this to this person. And it's not, not, a, not the heavens opening up like when Jesus was baptized in an audible voice, I'm like, okay, God, that's clear. It's just this, it's kind of more like that still, quiet voice of like, you need to say this to this person. And this is how I've seen the Spirit at work in my life. And I've also experienced the other side of that. When, I'm, when things are dry, when I'm far away from God, when I'm not as intentional, when I'm not as focused on Him, I'm more focused on myself or family or life or other things. I experience that. I don't hear that. I don't sense that. That, that, that the work of the Spirit in my life in the same way. Maybe it's been similar uh, for you. So we've looked at shifting our focus from ourselves to God. Um, we talked a little bit about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and finally we just want to talk briefly about being rooted and established in love. Um, English, you might know this, English has far fewer words and expressions um, than, than biblical Greek, right? There, there's, there's far more uh, words and expressions in the, in the biblical languages. And so <clears throat> um, this word love is, is a great example of this. The type of love that Paul is talking about in our passage is not that brotherly love that we read about in other parts of Scripture. It's not that friendship or familial love, and it's obviously not a romantic love. Rather, it's the unconditional agape love of God. The type of love that is not a matter of feelings or emotions, but rather of will, of God's will. And even though feelings and emotions may accompany his agape love, it's not centered on that. Love in general is selfless. Sorry, It puts others ahead of itself. The greatest examples of this 
that we see in Scripture are God sending his one and only son to play that central hero role in his redemption story. And then Jesus living that out as he foretold his disciples he would in John chapter 15, 13, where he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. We're called to love God in Scripture, and we're called to love others, to love them for the image bearers of God that they are, and to love them as we love ourselves. In the context of this passage, to be rooted and established in love is a part of what it means to be able to know the fullness of God's love, and to know, which then enables us to experience the fullness of God. God's love will never give up on us on this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. This love is hard, I think, for us to comprehend, especially because I think we've all experienced like broken love or people who have let us down, people who we love deeply. <clears throat> it's hard for us, I think, to understand on this side of eternity, but it is the love that Paul longs for us to know. It is also uh, totally transformative. Has the love of God transformed you or begun to transform your life? I could talk a lot about how God's love has transformed my life, um, but, um, but I won't tell you all those stories now, except to say that my life is, was, is changed by knowing that God loves me, that God longs to work in and through my life for his glory, and that has changed my life, has changed my, and I sit with, as I sit with my friends sometimes who don't know Jesus, or sorry, haven't chosen to follow Jesus at this point in their life, and I, and I listen to them talk, I can hear I can hear how my life would be different if I didn't know the love of Jesus. And um, most of the time, I'm so thankful as I listen to that. I'm, I'm so thankful for how the love of God has transformed, has transformed my life. Has he transformed your life? Is he transforming your life? As we wrap this up and as we head towards com the communion table, a couple of, of closing kind of application things for us. The first is this, if you're here this morning, if you're watching this morning or you're watching this in the, in the, in the future um, and you haven't yet chosen to follow Jesus, my prayer for you is found in verse 17 of our passage. And I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. If you're here and, and you want to talk more about it or you have questions about it, I'll be here after the service to hang out and would love to talk to you about that. If you, if you want to keep exploring, you're like, oh, I got some questions or I want to know more about this, uh, can I invite you to, to talk to God? Just say to God, God, if you're real, if this stuff from, from the Bible is real, show yourself to me. Make yourself known to me. And can I invite you to maybe just spend some time reading his word? Maybe reading the two and a half chapters of, of Ephesians that comes before what we read today. Or maybe going to the Gospels, like the Gospel of John and reading about the life of Jesus. For those of you who um, are here who are already followers of Jesus, as you go away from this morning, my prayer is that um, my prayer is that you would be resolute, that you would be resolute in your full dependence on God. That as you look at this new year, you would see the, the, the opportunity to choose self or to choose God. And you can live the Christian life on your own strength and in your own power, or you can choose to live it in the power of 
of, 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 of the Spirit, the power of God. Um, you know, I, we talked about resolutions at the beginning. You know, resolutions aren't a bad thing. I, I just want to say that. Some of you shared very deep and meaningful good resolutions. Um, there's nothing wrong with resolutions. And I would encourage you to make resolutions. But maybe make them out of a place of being focused on God. Have you talked to God about your resolutions? Have you prayed about them? Have you invited him into that? Talk to him about how he wants you to walk through life this coming year for his glory. Ask him to fill you with his spirit that he might empower you to live out your God-focused resolutions. And may your resolutions be marked by your love for God and for others. Being resolute means being bold and being unwavering. And again, my prayer is that you may be resolute in living in the fullness of the one who can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or you could ever imagine. Hallelujah. We're going we're gonna, to uh, transition into communion. Um, if you didn't receive one of these when you came in, there's a, 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 a table at the back here. Pastor Tim's at the back here with a tray. As we go into communion, uh, a couple things. You don't have to come yet, Barry. Or you can come yet if you want. Um, as we go into communion, a couple things. As we read scripture, um, but the Bible tells us that this, what we're going to do right now is for those who've chosen to follow Jesus. If you haven't yet chosen to follow Jesus, I, I just want to invite you to observe us as we partake in communion together. Um, but um, we are going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to celebrate who he is and what he's done. We're going to celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection. But I also think on, on this day, and in line with what we've been talking about, uh, I think this is a reminder of our dependence on him, of our resoluteness towards having him at the center of our lives as we move forward into a new year. I'm just going to read from uh, Corinthians. These are words of Paul again as he wrote about, uh, about, this, uh, about communion. He says, says this in uh, Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what we're going to do here. I'm going to invite you just to uh, peel back the top layer so you expose the wafer. There's a thin layer on the top. And if you want, you can pre-open the juice on the bottom by peeling that back. We're going to partake of these one at a time, but let me just, let me just pray for us. God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, thank you so much for uh, who you are and what you've done. Thank you so much for creating us, creating us in your image, creating us to worship you, to have this relationship with you. We thank you that even though sin came into the world and we, were, we became separated from you, you provided an answer, a resolution to that. We thank you so much for sending your son, fully God and fully man. He lived life on this earth the way you intended us to live life. And then he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin, a once-for-all sacrifice. His body was given. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin that we might know what it is to have a relationship with you. And so we celebrate that. We remember that as we partake in communion together, Lord Jesus.
and we celebrate his resurrection, his overcoming the consequence of sin that is death. Be with us now as we do this, Lord Jesus, and may this be a symbol of our dependence as we move into a new year on you and your power at work within us. In your name we pray, amen. The body of Christ given for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. I'm going to invite Brendan and the team to come and uh, close out. Um, we're going to close out the service with a song uh, and, our, and our benediction.